0: Beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 10. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You. you may be seated.
1: Thank you, Matt. Um, for those that are new, my name is David, one of the pastors here at Remedy. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father God, we acknowledge that you are God, the creator of heaven and earth, and Father, we uh, bless your holy name. We acknowledge that uh, through you we have life and breath. You are our light and our salvation. Father, I pray that this morning we will see your heart for the nations, that we will understand uh, your desire for for people to know you. And Father, I pray that uh, by your word, you will show us how to live. And that by your spirit, you will lead us into all truth. Amen. Have you ever had an experience in which it was so memorable and uh, so moving that you will remember it the rest of your life? Now some of you may think of perhaps your wedding day, or having the privilege of praying with someone uh, to come to know the Lord. Or some of you may think of the birth of a child. But 25 years ago, I had such an experience. I gathered with hundreds of thousands of men, some say as many as 1.4 million men, on the, the National Mall In Washington DC to stand in the gap in prayer for our country. Our time started out with the blowing of the shofar by Messianic Jews to call us to prayer and then a million voices were lifted in songs of praise to our God. I think that day I had a little taste of heaven. And a tiny glimpse of what it must have been like for John as he tried to put into words what he experienced in our passage today. As we exegete the word together this morning, we'll explore how John's vision informs the vision of Remedy Church, and we'll talk about how worship is the foundation of our going. We'll see how the goal of our mission is to bring brothers and sisters into the fold from every tribe and people and language and nation so that God might be worshipped throughout the whole earth. Last week, you'll remember, Pastor Chris talked about how Remedy's mission statement is derived from the Great Commission. The three main parts of the mission statement are go, gather, and teach. We're to go and make disciples, we're to baptize, which is how we gather into the local church, and we're to teach all that Christ commanded us. This week, we turn from our mission statement to the vision statement. What's the difference? Well, a mission statement, just like it sounds, tells us what our mission is. It describes our aims. A vision statement, on the other hand, says this is what it looks like when we accomplish our mission. It's future. It's aspirational. So as we turn to our vision statement, we'll begin with the go. What does it look like for Remedy Church to accomplish the go part of our mission? As you know, our text this morning is Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. But we started reading from verse 1 to get the context for our text because a text without context is a pretext for a proof text. So John starts with verse 1, with, then I saw, meaning a new vision. He sees the throne room of heaven, and at the right hand who is seated of him who is seated on the throne is a scroll with seven seals. The mighty angel asked, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? There are 24 elders there. Many Bible scholars say they represent the church. Each elder has a harp, which is used throughout the Old Testament in praising God in song. And they also have golden bowls of incense, which we are told are the prayers of the saints. But the 24 elders aren't worthy to open the scrolls. And there are four living creatures who day and night never cease from saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Surely they are worthy, but they're not worthy either. Revelation 5.11 says that there are so many angels around the throne that they're beyond counting, but neither are they worthy. And no one in heaven or on earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. We know from subsequent chapters more about the scroll. Beginning in Revelation chapter 6, as each of the seals are broken, God's wrath is poured out on the earth. The scroll contains God's providential judgments. So will the scroll ever be revealed? John understands the weightiness of this and begins to weep. An elder tells him to stop, because there is one who is worthy. Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then John sees Jesus in the middle of the elders, in the middle of his church. He sees them him as a lamb standing as though he had been slain. My in-laws are funeral directors, so I've seen a lot of bodies lying in state. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that the dead don't stand. But the lamb, still bearing the wounds of death, is standing. He has conquered death. He has risen. The Lamb has seven horns, which speaks of His perfect power. Seven is the number of perfection, and horns represent power. Seven eyes having to do with perfect knowledge, perfect wisdom, perfect insight. And those seven eyes are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, which is a reference to Zacharias. There the seven eyes are symbolic of God's perfect, omnipotent Spirit. Jesus takes the scroll, and an amazing scene of worship unfolds. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down before the Lamb and worship Him. They sing a new song. It's the song of the worthy one. It's a song of the Lamb. How would you answer that question? Why did Christ redeem us? Well, you might say, so that we can have eternal life. John 3.16. You might say that Christ redeemed us so that we can go to heaven instead of hell. He um, did it so that we can be saved from sin. That we might be adopted into God's family. These are all true. But how does verse 9 answer that question? Here we see Jesus worshiped. He is proclaimed worthy. In fact, He is uniquely worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for, and here we're told why, you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Ultimately, the highest and most significant reason that Christ redeemed us is for his glory. The ultimate result of our redemption by the Lamb is the worship of the Lamb. That's why the foundation of our going starts with the worship of Jesus. As John Piper put it, missions exist because, mis- because worship doesn't. So we worship the standing lamb who is worthy, but there are many out there who don't. That's why we go. Not out of guilt or obligation, although it's better done out of duty, I suppose, than not at all. But we go to see others also worship Him. Whether it's across the street or across the world, we go to glorify God. That's why our vision statement starts out saying, we glorify God in going to our neighbors and the nations. We go because going brings glory to God, and the worship of Christ is the foundation of our going. The vision statement continues saying, praying for the lost, So if worship is the foundation of our going, then praying for the lost is our first step in going. Sometimes we don't think of prayer as going. Certainly our going shouldn't end there, but it should start there. Sometimes people skip this step. Sometimes they don't think of praying as really, quote, doing anything. But that reflects a lack of understanding about one of two things. It's a lack of understanding about the work of God, or it's a lack of understanding of the nature of persevering prayer. Starting with prayer acknowledges that the work of God in the hearts of men and women is supernatural work. And so we petition God to do the work that only he can do. It may also reflect a lack of understanding about the nature of persevering prayer. For those who have engaged in it, you know that it is hard work. It's spiritual warfare. It requires spiritual discipline. Practically, one of the ways that we pray for the lost, we just saw, is during our call to worship. Each week we pray for something local or international. That means we pray for a local church in their proclamation of the gospel. We pray for an unreached people group, or we pray for those that are working among an unreached people group. We also pray in corporate prayer, in community groups, and in our homes. We pray individually and collectively. We pray intentionally for the lost. We intercede for the lost in our gatherings and in our homes, lifting up some by name and crying out, for others that we have never met. Praying for the lost is the starting place of our going. Our vision is to also create a culture of natural evangelism. We want to encourage member-led ministries. Say, well, what is that? What does that mean? Let's say you have a passion for a particular type of ministry. You love to go to the homeless shelter and talk to people about Jesus. So, you find other members with a similar passion to join you, and a member-led ministry is born. We have members working with UIM, helping international teachers and students at Winthrop to settle into life in the U.S. They build relationships with them, which leads to spiritual conversations. Others have started a game ministry to create opportunities to talk to the unchurched about Jesus through a common interest in games. These are examples of member-led ministries. In all of these, our aim is to invite others to come and worship Jesus, because worshiping Jesus is the ultimate result of our redemption. The second question we'll answer from our text is for whom was the the lamb slain. So verse 9 tells us, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Ransom gives us the image of prisoners. If someone is kidnapped, you ransom them. You buy them back from the kidnappers. Jesus ransomed us who were slaves to sin to make us a people for God. It's worth taking a minute to note what the text doesn't say here. It doesn't say he ransomed every person and every tribe and language and people and nation, but with His blood he purchased God's people from or out of every tribe and language and people and nation. John said in, or Jesus said in John 10:16, "And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd." As Pastor Joe said, we have brothers and sisters out there. They just don't know it yet. When our children were young, my in-laws had a farm that had three stocked ponds. And the kids loved to go fishing there. On some days, you could catch a fish every time you cast a line. The fish were waiting and hungry. Other days, took a little more patience. But that was okay, too, because you always knew that there were fish in those ponds. Our vision statement continues. We glorify God and are going to our neighbors and the nations, praying for the lost, sharing the gospel. We are fishers of men. We share, we proclaim the gospel. Sometimes people respond right away. Sometimes it takes patience. Most people never respond at all but we keep proclaiming because some of them are God's people. There are fish in those ponds. In 2 Timothy 2.10, Paul tells us why he is willing to endure hardship for the gospel. He tells us, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul is willing to endure hardship for the gospel because he knows that some will respond to God's call. Who are those who respond to God's call? It's the called out ones. The Lamb has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Aha! That's why Jesus tells us to go to all nations because he has people that he is ransomed there. Do you see how this informs our going? Do you see why we pray for something local and international? Why we pray for unreached people groups? Jesus is creating a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This isn't something that's just out of the blue. We see early on in Genesis that through the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. This is something that has been on God's heart and God's plan all along. So how does Remedy engage in this? We're so little, and the world is so big. But God asks us to be faithful with what we've been given. Last year, we identified an opportunity to engage with other tribes, languages, people, groups, and nations right outside our own back door. The mission field has come to us. There are more Hispanics in the United States than in all of Central America. Many are first-generation immigrants. 71% speak a language other than English at home, and 28% state that they are not fluent in English. This translates to thousands here in Rock Hill that don't know English. They are underreached and off the radar for most churches. And so we're partnering in the gospel with another local church to offer English as a second language classes. The spring semester started yesterday. Every week, these students learn English and they hear the gospel proclaimed in their own language. We're committed to growing a flourishing ESL program that serves the surrounding community for the sake of evangelizing the lost. We also stand with missionaries sent out from our midst who are working among an unreached people group. These are members of Remedy. As their sending church, we stand with them through persistent prayer, financial partnership, and consistent encouragement in the Lord. We're also committed to raising up future missionaries. We're taking our elder candidate training and breaking it into three different pathways and Chris talked about that in the, in the call to worship. So the first pathway is for any member that's interested in a pocket seminary education. It recognizes that every believer can benefit from systematic theology, biblical hermeneutics, and ecclesiology. The second pathway is the original pathway for those aspiring to be, be elders. The third pathway is a missionary-focused pathway for future missionaries and international church planters. Here's what our syllabus says. The mission's leadership development path is custom designed for each rising leader to help them become better equipped for ministry through practical training, hands-on experience, and pastoral mentoring. The program is designed to experience healthy church membership, enhance understanding of strategic missions engagement, provide experience with sharing one's faith cross-culturally, explore global missions, prepare for language fluency, and refine the participants' vision for missions. So, If you're interested in any of these pathways, I ask you to talk with an elder. Before we leave verse 9, let's talk about the efficacy of the sacrifice of the lamb. Efficacy means it produces the intended results. It's effective. In Revelation chapter 5, we see the Lamb who, by His blood, ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. In Revelation chapter 7, two chapters ahead, we see a great multitude of the redeemed coming out of the great tribulation from every tribe and language and people and nation. Those who have been ransomed will be redeemed. And the redeemed will be a great multitude. The pond is stocked with a lot of fish. Isn't that just like our God? He doesn't just bless us, but he blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He doesn't just give to us, but he gives us with good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He gives us grace upon grace. Jesus ransoms a people for God. The third question we'll answer from our text is what is he making us to become? Verse 10, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Verse 10 expands on the result of the ransom. Jesus doesn't just ransom us from sin and death. Jesus makes us to become a people for God. And that involves a kingdom, a priesthood, and a co-regency. As you remember in the Old Testament, the high priest and the high priest alone was to offer sacrifices on the Day of Atonement for the sins of the nation. He had to sacrifice a bull to ceremonially cleanse himself. Then he could go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. He would also take two goats. One would be sacrificed and his blood sprinkled on the altar, and then he would lay his hands on the other and confess the sins of the nation and then send it out into the wilderness. As the scapegoat, it was bearing the iniquities of the people and carrying them away. But Jesus offered the ultimate sacrifice. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Isaiah says. He was pierced for our transgressions, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Messiah was our sacrifice, but he's also our high priest. As our high priest, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption Hebrews 9 12 not only is Jesus our perfect priest but he is our perfect prophet in the Old Testament prophets were God's mouthpiece they would speak and say thus says the Lord but Jesus came not just speaking God's Word but as the eternal Word of God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us John 1:14. Jesus is our perfect prophet He is our perfect priest, and He is our perfect King. Jesus came in the line of David, but He is also David's Lord. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. And so, in our union with Jesus, He makes us to become prophets, priests, and kings with Him. We are His prophets, foretelling the news of the kingdom, proclaiming the gospel. We are we're priests with access to God the Father through the blood of Jesus and the indwelling Holy Spirit. The priesthood of the believer means that those who are united with Christ share in his priestly office. And we're kings who will one day rule with him. It says, and they shall reign on the earth The earth will not always be tyrannized by Satan. The first heaven and earth will be made new. Christ's saints will reign in righteousness. Revelation 2.26 also speaks of this. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Peter says, you were once not a people, but now you are God's people. But you are a chosen race, A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, to what end? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God is making us to become a kingdom, priests, and eventually kings who rule with him, to the end that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us, practically How does Remedy Church proclaim the excellencies of Jesus? We talked about prayer. We talked about sharing the gospel and member-led ministries. We talked about ESL and standing with missionaries and raising up future missionaries. Our vision statement continues saying, and planting churches here and among all the people God calls us to. Why plant churches? Well, first and foremost, it's biblical. The New Testament pattern is for the local church to be the vehicle for making new disciples. After Jesus commissioned his apostles to go into all the world to make disciples, what do they do? We find them in Acts, and they are proclaiming the gospel and planting churches. The Great Commission is lived out As we proclaim the news of Jesus and gather new believers into the church. And it's in our gatherings that our distinctive love for one another in the church testifies to the work of God in our lives. Planting churches is biblical. That's really the only reason we need, but there's also a pragmatic side as well. Different studies have confirmed that Person for person, church plants are more effective at reaching the unchurched than established churches. If you think about it, that makes sense because church plants are usually done in pockets where there is little effective evangelical witness. At Remedy, a church plant ourselves, we are partnering with two different church plants. We're helping them financially to get on their feet and support them in prayer. One is national. One is International. The National is a church plant in Hickory, North Carolina. Hickory has few gospel-proclaiming churches. There are 14 unreached people groups represented in Hickory. It's home to 7,300 college students. We have a picture that we can put up of uh, John Morrison and his family. He's our partner in Hickory. They've started a small Bible study that meets every Sunday And some of their most faithful attenders are non-believers. This summer, another elder will be joining John. He values plurality of elders so much that he wants there to be two pastors before they covenant together as a church in the fall and take communion. A week ago, Saturday, uh, Pastor Scott, Garrett James, and I gathered with John and his family in Hickory to share a meal. And pray and encourage them in the work of the ministry. Hickory's close enough that we can meet periodically here or in Hickory and encourage John in the work. We also have a picture of Josué Lauda and his family. So it's not Jose Joseph, it's Josué Joshua. I met Josue last year. He was doing an internship in Rock Hill and was one of the pastors who did devotionals in Spanish for the ESL students. He did a remarkable job sharing the gospel in a way that could be easily understood by students with little biblical knowledge. Josue is now back in Monterrey, Mexico, in a city of four million people. Fifty percent of the population is under 29 years of age. Josue will be planting a church there, starting with 10 families from his home church. His goal is to plant reproducing churches, churches that plant churches. We'll be partnering with him financially, in prayer, and eventually, perhaps, short-term trips to co-labor with him. I am excited about what the Lord is doing at Remedy. We started out our time this morning talking about an experience that I will never forget, how I gathered with maybe a million men to stand in the gap in prayer for our country, and how we raised our voices in songs of praise to our God. That experience will pale in comparison to heaven when we gather with God's people from every tribe and language and people and nation and we lift up our voices to the, in praise to the standing Lamb who is slain. Today we saw the foundation of our going is worship. We saw in our text that the ultimate result of our regeneration by the Lamb is the worship of the Lamb. And so we start our going by praying for the lost, we share the gospel, and we create a culture of natural evangelism through member-led ministries. We also saw how Jesus ransoms a people for God from every tribe and people and language and nation. That's why we started an ESL ministry. That's why we send missionaries out from our midst and seek to raise up future missionaries. Finally, we saw how Jesus makes us to become a people of God. Following the New Testament model, we seek to gather others into the church. We partner with church planters. And that we help them with, uh, in areas that are underreached, reached uh, both nationally and internationally. Throughout all, we saw how the goal of our mission is to bring brothers and sisters into the fold that God might be worshipped throughout the whole earth. Let us say with the psalmist, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you, Psalm 67.3. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us as we go and proclaim your gospel. Pray that you would help us as we proclaim it to to men and women everywhere. Help us, Father, as we gather them into the church and as we seek to teach them all that you have commanded us. Father, we pray that you would help us to make disciples for your glory. Give us your heart for the nations, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.